Welcome to a. Uh, gives a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the worst way you could spend the next eight to forty-five minutes. We don't ever know. This week. <laughs> Welcome to your last chance to turn us off. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think I'm tapped out, dude. The ATM's empty. I <laughs> just. Well, I got nothing. Welcome to the way we are both disappointing both of our families individually. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, you ready for some nonsense? Yep. An Indian man named Rajesh Vishwash dropped his cell phone in a water reservoir while attempting to take a selfie. Turns out he was a government official and requested that local divers attempt to recover the device, claiming it contained sensitive government data. Mm. After they were unsuccessful, he ordered the reservoir to be drained, utilizing diesel pumps while he sat under a red umbrella watching. After finally locating the phone, it wouldn't even turn on anyways. The event led to an uproar as India suffering from scorching temperatures and water scarcity. And the amount of water loss could have irrigated roughly 1,500 acres, leading to his suspension. Are you sure he doesn't work for the U.S. federal government? Uh, yeah, he's, that's uh, like, that's first day shit. What do you think that's he had on I'm that cell phone that was so important? Well, that's what I'm wondering. I think you need like a secondary verification from somebody at work. But listen, yeah, go ahead and drain it. Yeah. Accounting approves that invoice. But if it's just me saying, believe me, don't tell the boss, but just trust me, I don't know. Yeah, it's got stuff that yeah. is super sensitive. Uh, then why why isn't someone with you here? Why can't you? Uh, why isn't this corroborated? If I lost the launch codes, I guarantee you, there's a phone call I'm going to have to make. It's going to be super uncomfortable. Um, I made a mistake. I'm going to need your backing on this. Mm-hmm. We're going to have to drain Lake Michigan, and I need six thousand divers on the fly. Yeah. Go ahead and come to my office. Uh, shut the door behind you. Morris Wortman, which might sound a little familiar. He's a fertility doctor. He's been, he's made appearances on documentaries quite a few times. He's a really controversial guy. But anyways, so he's a fertility doctor out of New York uh, and he leaves a pending court case active after the wings literally detached from a hand-built experimental plane he and his pilot were traveling in. Wortman was accused of using his own sperm as a donor for patients, but claimed they came from a local medical student. The woman filing the lawsuit, the daughter of one of his patients who received fertility treatment back in 1985, Jeez. grew suspicious after a genealogy test revealed that she had at least nine half-siblings, concluding that they were likely a product of a serial sperm donor. But here's the twist. She was also a patient of his. Or After a bizarre appointment where he made comments about how she was such a good kid, she then confirms her new suspicions by comparing one of her half-brother's DNA to that of Wartman's daughters from his first marriage, proving a lineage. Uh-oh. So his pilot bragged about like having this hand-built experimental plane. Yeah. And they take off and they're flying and the f- fucking wings pop right off it midair. They travel like a thousand to fifteen hundred yards, boof, crash into an orchard. They live? No, they both died. Oh, okay. Right away. All right. To be fair, he's kind of a piece of shit, but was a yeah. serial sperm donor at a fertility clinic. He was impregnating women with his own sperm. Yeah. At Genghis Khan level. Right. Ego. There's a measurable fraction of 23andMe that <laughs> results with his a picture of his head. He's a major shareholder. He, he votes. Can you imagine how much of that shit that's not even known about, too? Mm. <clears throat> I wondered where the uh, experimental aircraft thing was going there. So you think it was... Uh, I forgot to write somebody down Somebody was the, turning a wrench and mad him and maybe loosened up the wings? Or? Well, the pilot died, too. I'm pretty sure the pilot built the plane. Mm. And I, I forgot to document the model of plane it was. Uh, to me, it didn't have much value. Maybe, right. you know, to the yeah. aviation experts who listen to us. Sure. They <laughs> have a little more insight to it. But They would say, listen, the torque spec on that is not 
two and a half pounds. You give us the what? You four, gotta give yeah. her another crank. Pretty pretty wild though. Uh, he was on like a Netflix documentary too, I believe, and uh, a few other ones like. Uh, that sounds familiar. Yeah, he sounds familiar. Morris Wortman. He was uh yeah a bit notorious, but he got away with it all. He was still a fertility doctor, yeah, and the, the reason why is because he's like one of those people that is the exception instead of the rule. So laws don't apply to things because things haven't happened like this before. Right. So you have to create laws sure. to protect there's, people yeah, from no these kind of things legal, happening. There's no tactical precedent for this, sir. It's an unconventional uh, engagement. And everybody, you know, in court's like, well, what the, what the fuck? There's not laws for this. You know, mm. we don't know what to do. Mm. So a man in Colorado was pulled over for speeding. Upon the car coming to a halt, the officer conducting the stop watched as he maneuvered around quickly inside of his car, eventually emerging from the passenger side. When approached, he claimed that he had not been behind the wheel. And instead, he swapped places with his dog, blaming the canine for the reckless driving. When the officer asked about how much the man had had to drink, which, to be fair at this point, is a reasonably fair question, he decided to try and flee, and only made it like 20 yards before he was eventually detained. Mm. There's the, a lot of holes in your story. I love the idea of it being a chihuahua, just like <laughs> sitting in the driver's seat. <laughs> the officer's a, like, fucking clearly, it was a dude, pug. This not, yeah. <laughs> clearly, this isn't what happened. No. <laughs> I love the idea of that he swapped, swapped spots with his dog because he, in his brain, his dog's crazy smart, right? Well, yeah. <laughs> he dogs and He's capable. Yeah. Just believe in him. Just follow my lead. He's cool. <laughs> a house is not a home without a husky. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to the Fundamentals of Nonsense. So last week was incredibly fun. We had our first guest on the show. Uh, the Canadian all-metal band Sibylin. And Sonny, I want to take a second here to thank you for your energy. Everything you brought us last week, I was a, myself, I was a bit unprepared for the, the interview. And I was super busy trying to get everything set up and, and in order for the show. You were fantastic in commanding the interview. And I am very, very grateful to have you on the other side of the table with me. Thank you, good sir. Oh, you're welcome, sir. No, it went great. Those guys were a good time. Um, I'd love to hear how they're doing now and how the, how the shows have done since we, we spoke here. So... I think as of today, they just wrapped up tour. Good deal. I, I thought so. so. I think that's the case. Hopefully, we hear back from them. It was a blast having them on. Good. I'm sure they'll go back to the studio. I'm not sure how what their tour schedule and what their plans are for writing more, but I'm, I'm curious to see how the next one goes with them just coming down here. Yeah, it seems like they had a blast. South uh, of the border. Yeah, <laughs> south of the border. That's right. It seems like they had a blast. I followed them throughout the tour on social media. It looked like they had a ton of fun. Uh, Ed looked... Like he had an absolute blast. There's some really great pictures of him. Outstanding work, uh, sir. So uh, back to us. We've been at it uh, pretty hard now for just over two months. And I got to say the air is getting mighty thin up here. Uh, we've been working really hard at creating serviceable content for our tens and tens of listeners. And now that we've <laughs> kind of locked in, you know, a fan base, the eluding question is financial success and what that looks like for us. Uh, we're, we're obviously being very patient and, Personally, the both of us are, are very reluctant to plug ads into the show. We have quite a few offers on the table right now, and maybe in the future we choose to promote something that doesn't take away from the listener's experience. But in the meantime, it seems prudent not to look to the future. So I spent a bit of time researching various methods that others have historically applied to achieve the title of wealthy. Uh, I mean, we even did a story on Timothy Dexter a few episodes back, mm -hmm. and that mm -hmm. story alone proves that striking gold is almost entirely unpredictable. He's my life coach. It hasn't translated for me yet, but it will. He's a uh, proof of that saying that you miss 100% of shots you don't take. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he took them all. He took every shot. Yeah. 
So we, we do also operate under pseudonyms here on the fundamentals of nonsense. I don't think we've quite openly discussed that yet. Maybe because once I fully disclose mine, uh, it'll be very obvious. I'm not just your host, Sam. I'm your host, Sam Handwich. Uh, but anyways, uh, one of the most important pseudonyms in financial history is that of Satoshi Nakamoto, the individual or a group of individuals that invented Bitcoin, the world's very first cryptocurrency. And to this day, their identity is still unknown, which is insane, right? I mean, mm. considering the large role Bitcoin plays in modern finance. I don't even know finance. how it's possible. Look at the recent events with cryptocurrency and scandal. Uh, how mm -hmm. do you remain anonymous when you're the heavyweight undisputed champion of that industry yeah it's a uh, to me it's baffling yeah to think that something is worth nearly thirty thousand dollars in the market right now uh -huh. and we have no idea who even created it right and how, how are they how have they been able to maintain that i think the the idea behind it just was able to come to life i don't know that there needs to be anybody behind i mean surely i mean right i know for a fact there's like analyzers and stuff like that and people who are who have responsibilities in the bitcoin market uh -huh. at this point but I, I don't know that it needs somebody at the top of it no but somebody was like there was someone that had the final say so so you think they kind of achieved escape velocity while the getting was good and now it's out of their hands you know what i mean it's it's kind of up for debate because because there's no feasible evidence for anybody mm -hmm. ever to be actually that's so strange this title i would assume it was like an un it's a unspoken certainty you know what i mean right like no, he won't acknowledge it, and that's the way it is. And we, but we were all certain this group's the major developer. You, yeah, you would think individual. like uh, inner circle stuff. Yeah, like as as you climb up the ladder you, of, you think you'd be able to speculate, just follow yeah. the money, and then the, this is who it is. But they don't take responsibility, kind of thing. So I'll start with a couple of things that we do know about Bitcoin and its creator. Shoot, in uh, October of two thousand and eight. Uh, the white paper, which laid out the theory and the operating structure for Bitcoin, was published the author's title of Satoshi Nakamoto's first appearance. Hmm. And they are also credited with creating the source code and sending emails out and posting in forums under that pseudonym as well. The last email sent under this name was in April of 2011, stating that they were moving on to better things. The final forum post under the pseudonym was in 2014, and it simply stated, I am not Dorian Nakamoto. So Dorian was a Japanese-American physicist whom Newsweek magazine itself claimed in rather espionage-esque articles uh -huh. to be the creator of Bitcoin in March of 2014. Dorian denied the claims, stating that the article had created a great deal of stress and confusion for him and his family. He went on to say, I did not create, invent, or otherwise work on Bitcoin. And as it turns out, he had been unemployed for almost a decade and had to shut his internet off in 2013 because he couldn't afford to pay the bill. He'd never even heard of Bitcoin until his son mentioned it after being contacted by reporters. You know, if I did like a Venn diagram, if I was investigating to figure out who is, you know, at the root of this, I would probably early in the game, I would trim out those without internet access. You would think, right? And it'd be a step early. So I, can, I can remove this uh, entire section here. I can filter this. I saw that too, because I, I thumbed through the Newsweek articles mm -hmm. that claimed he was the the creator of Bitcoin. Like I said, it, it seemed really espionage-esque and uh, contacting a lot of people around this guy. It, it didn't hold a, a ton of gravity to me when I went through it, you know, and eventually I believe was entirely discredited in general as Dorian Nakamoto being Satoshi. It's just considered to be untrue. But if he did though, 
And he did like possess the discipline to do it that way. Wouldn't that be the way to do it? As soon as they walk away, slides plane tickets out of his back pocket and he's like, yeah, we're in the clear. Yeah. If you could do it, you know, it's the opposite of the John Gotti. So you don't get the $8,000 suit and want everybody to know you're there. He talked a lot about how he was like a model train enthusiast and all this stuff. The guy met him through like model train forums or something. And I was like, this seems far fetched for this to be the guy that created an economical rift uh-huh. to the degree that it seems that, like that's an inter- insurmountable task to disappear if you're the guy that was at the head of that you, yeah you'd be it that, seems like the list. the remaining anonymous was probably a very smart mm-hmm. decision when you're right when you're creating a decentralized currency i sure. mean everybody has their hands in it now but yeah that's part of the principle behind it but i just can't imagine how he maintains that so I think Give the key there is maybe it was just a group of people operating under a single pseudonym. Makes more sense, doesn't it? If and it's more than one, spread out the blame. Because then you know, you're all protecting has each other part too. Of the code. Yeah, if it's just you, it's like everybody has their own individual key, and you put them all mm-hmm. together, and then they unlock the vault. Yeah. So after denying to be Dorian, Satoshi completely fucking disappears, forever. Decent. Using timestamps on emails and forum posts by Nakamoto. It is believed that they were based out of either the east or west coast in the U.S. or the U.K., which casts a pretty broad net. Guy. We're pretty sure it's between there. Yeah, San Francisco to mm-hmm. London. You know where it's not. Part of this, too. Yeah, the timestamps were a big deal, but they also used British Commonwealth spelling, like uh, adding the letter U uh, to like favor and color, color and, and stuff like that. So know. it led to the belief that they either hail from the U.K. also or they were educated there at least. Sure. Well, that doesn't narrow it down either, though. It seems like if you're that high level computer programming, you don't make mistakes like that Mm -mm. to me. So you could probably VPN and ping East, West and UK. Mm -hmm. Why not? And then you're in Colorado. You know what I mean? And what if it was more, even more strategic, you know, like the spelling was a a psychological tactic. Yeah. That makes sense. It reeks of amateur accident though. Bitcoin wallets believed to have been traced back to Satoshi are estimated to hold around $20 billion worth of cryptocurrency. But the only transactions from those wallets ever was in 2009 when Satoshi completed the first ever Bitcoin transfer of 10 coins to a guy named Hal Finney, a cryptographer who is another individual suspected to have been Satoshi himself. Along with receiving the first transfer of Bitcoin, He was also the first to download the Bitcoin software after it was posted by Nakamoto. And the theory is is that he just transferred the coins to himself. That makes sense too, doesn't it? Yeah, so the only transaction that came out of this wallet was worth $30 to $40. The wallets that they can, at the time, you know what I mean? Now it's a a larger number, obviously. So eventually Finney's email chains with Nakamoto were published, showing communication since the white paper itself was published, all the way up to him running the program released by Satoshi. So when people began investigating these emails, they discovered timestamp issues as well. And this fueled the idea even more that Howe was actually the creator himself and he was making an effort to fabricate evidence that proved otherwise. Unfortunately, all the way up until his passing from Lou Gehrig's disease in 2014, he denied being Satoshi. To me, he seems like the most likely candidate. Mm -hmm. I've got a few other people I'm going to talk about here, but and I have a bit of a bias because I wrote this piece. But to me, Hal Finney seems... It stinks. Hal. It yeah. stinks, Mr. Finney. We'll see. So another guy involved in this story is Nick Zabo. He's a computer programmer and cryptographer, and he's another prime candidate to be Satoshi Nakamoto. Because in the late 90s, 
He actually created one of the first attempts to decentralize currency with his own creation called BitGold, but was never fully implemented. However, he did set a large part of the foundations for Bitcoin, and even Elon Musk gives credit to Zabo setting the large part of the foundations of the powerhouse cryptocurrency, leading a large community to believe that he may have just moved on to a better creation. However, he's still alive and continues to deny being Satoshi. Mm -hmm. So the last person in this story is Craig Wright, an Australian computer scientist who is the only person who has openly claimed to be Satoshi Nakamoto and be taken seriously. In 2015, two separate magazines published stories claiming that he could be the father of Bitcoin, leading to his home getting raided in an Australian tax office investigation. The magazines were later discredited, but Wright stuck to his guns, maintaining that he really is Satoshi. However, he has been discredited through multiple investigations and has never provided clear proof, which should be pretty easy if you're the creator. And the guy struggles to bring a smoking gun to the fight, saying, hey, it's, you know, I did this. I made this. Hmm. He claims uh, in one report to have been on a group, including Hal Finney, and that he conceptualized the pseudonym of Satoshi Nakamoto. Hmm. But nobody will take him serious. So, you know, at the end of the day, still, right, who's our, so who the hell created Bitcoin? What would be the benefit of taking uh, responsibility for it at that point? I don't know. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't think there is one. So I do have one more really cool story to tell about this. So on May 22nd, yeah. 2010, two years after conception, the first use of Bitcoin to purchase real world items took place and oh. is engraved in crypto history as Bitcoin Pizza Day. Uh -oh. So Laszlo Hanyex, a Florida-based computer programmer, posted on a forum that he would pay somebody 10,000 Bitcoins to pay for, retrieve, and deliver him pizzas. Also, oh, wow. listing his favorite toppings. 19-year-old Jeremy Sturdivant agreed nice and had two Jeremy. large Papa John pizzas delivered to him in exchange for the coin, which was only worth about $40 at the time, but on the current market would be valued just over $270 million. Nice. Jeremy recirculated the currency rather quickly to pay oh, for travel expenses no. and made tenfold his profit. So okay. he cashed him out, made 400 bucks on a $40 transfer. That's right. So I looked at uh, interviews for both of these guys. Neither one of them are upset mm -hmm. that they did this. This was the first big material transaction for Bitcoin. So mm -hmm. the first time it was ever used to purchase something real world. Pizza is a beautiful way to start it that. Is. So yeah, a uh, couple of updates real quick. Uh, podcast is doing really well. We thank all of you guys. Uh, it's mm -hmm. been amazing so far. It's honestly been a blast. At this point, it looks like we have uh, Colorblind, a very talented band locked in for the end of June. And we really look That's forward scary. to talking to those guys. Yeah, yeah it's, I can't uh, wait to meet those guys. Good deal. They're uh, they're currently out on tour, so go show them some love. Uh, check their tour dates on their Facebook page. We can't wait to have them on. To any of our beloved listeners, uh, if you guys have any topics or questions you have, send them to us. If you think of them, give us some ideas. Let us uh, use you as a resource, and we'll we'll see if we can't get to the bottom of it for you. You win a friend. You win a free T-shirt, possibly a koozie. We'll see. If you are the winner of my topic contest, you don't just get one of the fundamentals of nonsense t-shirts. You get one of the original nine. So you're a charter member. It's important. Remember I said that. Yeah, hold him to it. <laughs> mm -hmm. All right, we're done wasting your fucking time. All right. <laughs> you never get that I'm just back. kidding. I'm just kidding. We love you. We love All you both right. or whatever. Yeah.